Father in heaven, we are so thankful uh, that we can meditate upon the depth and the vastness of your love for us in Christ. And Father, we thank you that in your saving love and saving mercy that you have determined to bring a people to yourself through Jesus and to lavish your love upon them as your sons and as your daughters. And Father, we pray that the study of this material uh, today, uh, as we look into your word and discuss these truths one with another, would be unto the praise of the glory of your grace and unto the comfort of your people, and Father, also to the drawing in of those who do not yet know these graces and privileges. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, we are uh, taking our first Lord's Day of the month and again uh, looking at the doctrine of, uh, of, of adoption, and this is taken from chapter 12 in the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And this is a, uh, the smallest of the chapters, the shortest uh, of the chapters, and yet we do not want to uh, glean from that uh, any sense of the importance of the doctrine. It doesn't make it uh, less important because it takes fewer words uh, to consider it. And I, I again want to read uh, the paragraph uh, here in our Confession of Faith. It's in the back of the hymnal, the blue hymnal in front of you, if you want to uh, follow along. And this is following the doctrine of justification in the previous chapter, all those that are justified, God conferred in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put on them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Now, uh, it was a month ago that we looked at that. I'll just catch you up briefly on some of the things that we looked at uh, last time. And the first the thing that we considered was the objects of adoption. And that's found in the words, all those that are justified. And we just commented there that as with assurance, uh, not all who are justified enjoy the same sense of assurance. Uh, you can get to heaven without assurance. You can get to heaven without the enjoyment of your sonship. But God does not intend that to be the case. Now, this is something that God wants us to know. God wants us to experience. And if you are justified and we are justified by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and justification, we saw as a a declaration by God that we are accepted as righteous because of the person and work of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are uh, in Christ Jesus. And all of those who have experienced that, which we sometimes use the legal word, the, that forensic reality, 
uh, also enjoy or should enjoy or can enjoy uh, the reality that God also lavishes on them this love. Now, one thing I, don't, I did not bring out last time was uh, the root meaning uh, of the word adoption as we find it in our uh, New Testament. And it is interesting because the concept is really a Roman concept that Paul uses, and Paul really almost exclusively uses this uh, concept, and he takes it, not that adoption was unknown to the Jews, but he takes the more uh, Roman aspect of it, which focuses upon inheritance, upon uh, what we receive. And the, the Greek word is a word uh, that means to stand in the position of a son. The Latin phrase that the Romans used meant more to choose. Uh, the, the word, I think it's datio, uh, is, is a word that, so we get our, our English from that, is a word that, that speaks of choosing, and certainly there is that aspect uh, in our own Christian understanding of it. But to stand in the position of sons, to be treated as sons, and to receive the inheritance that belongs uh, to the sons and daughters uh, of God. And so there's much that we can say about this. We spent a good deal of time uh, on this last time. We then looked at the grounds of adoption, and that is, in our confession, all those that are justified, God conferred in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption. And so we saw that it is in union with, son, with the Son, but also for the sake of the Son. That is, uh, in, in token of his reward and uh, part of his honor and glory is in his bringing many sons to glory. Uh, thirdly, by way of introduction, we gave a brief definition uh, of adoption and, uh, and have touched on this even in what I've said as far as the root a meaning of the compound word in the, uh, in the Greek, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and the privileges of the children of God. So how did somebody not born in the family uh, receive all the liberties and privileges of the children of a particular person? They did so by a legal transaction and by becoming literally now their son, uh, or their daughter. And so all that is to say adopted children legally, formally, and we added affectionately have conferred upon them the real dynamic of family life so that all that belongs to the family of the natural belongs now to the adopted family as well. And in this sense, Jesus as the only begotten, the one and only uh, as it were, natural son of God, and now there are many sons and daughters uh, who are uh, added. And we uh, looked briefly uh, at 1 John chapter 3, see or behold what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And what a great blessing uh, that is. And in fact, I, I regard that as one of the sweetest commands uh, in all of the Bible, that, that God would command us to look and to meditate on, to behold, and to consider the greatness of his love for us. It's one of the things that God has revealed for our comfort and for our joy uh, in this life. 
All right, we then began to open up the blessings of adoption. And uh, because, as he said there, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. And I broke it down uh, into 11, and we looked at several of them last time. Again, all of this by way of review. They have his name put upon them. Uh, God says in 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then we looked at this matter. They received the spirit of adoption. And I think this is where we ended last time, and we were asking the question, uh, is the spirit of adoption the Holy Spirit himself? Is the Holy Spirit the spirit of adoption Or is this a gift of the Holy Spirit wherein he gives to us a disposition, an inner witness, an inner confidence, a sense that I can call God my father, that I can consider Jesus my brethren, uh, my brother, and I can consider the, the, the church as my family. I don't need to stand outside of that. God has by his grace And by the Spirit of God done something in changing me, changing my disposition in place of a spirit of fear and condemnation, in place of that which made me perhaps say that I'm not able to come to the the Lord. And we've looked at this example in the past of Peter. When Peter encounters the Lord at the beginning of their relationship and Jesus shows his glory and there by the sea and he says to Jesus, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And then after the resurrection as Jesus is there on the, uh, on the beach having made breakfast for the disciples and Peter's in the boat and a lot of the scenario is very similar to what we read of in the other gospels and he sees Jesus and he dives into the water and goes toward him. What allowed him to do that when his failure in so many ways was greater and more keenly felt later in his life than it was there at the beginning of their walk together? Well, we would argue that it is the spirit of adoption and that's taken out of Romans 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. And let me just say, child of God, if you are wrestling with that, if you are regularly under a bondage of condemnation, that may be your own spirit, and it may be an evil spirit, but it is not the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts, which leads you to the blood and righteousness of Jesus, And allows you to be able to say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The spirit of condemnation, that you're not worthy. God doesn't want you. God won't forgive this. You've gone too far. That's not the spirit of adoption that God has given to us. He says, but you receive the spirit of adoption. And we looked at some of the various translations and This is the interesting part of sometimes where a translator has to decide, should I capitalize this S, showing that we believe this is the Holy Spirit, or is this the work of the Holy Spirit giving to us a spirit or a a disposition or an attitude of adoption? Well, I'm simply going to say this. You can't have one without the other. 
And uh, we're reminded in this that the work of adoption is a Trinitarian work. Uh, We are chosen by the Father. Uh, We are received in and for the sake of the Son. But this transaction also takes place by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God in three persons working together uh, for us uh, in this regard. All right, now let's consider this matter of access to the throne of grace with boldness. Now this language is taken from Ephesians. And in that section of the book, Paul is dealing with what God has done in uniting Jews and Gentiles in their faith uh, in Christ. And and Paul deals with this in in really a a very passionate degree in chapters 2 and 3 of of the book of Ephesians. Uh, But he wants us to know uh, in this that what we have as children of God is a liberty that belongs to us. And so let's, I I do want to spend some time on this because I I fear, again, in in this matter of liberties and privileges that belong to us, as the children of God, simply because you have a liberty doesn't mean you use that liberty or that you enjoy that liberty. But I do want to remind us that you do have it and that you have it, again, onto the end that you might uh, use it. And so he speaks uh, in, I'm going to read here in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, beginning at verse 14. Uh, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, so that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were uh, afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And then verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. uh, Jesus Christ uh, himself being the chief cornerstone. And so he's reminding us here that in union with Christ, both Jew and Gentile, we have an opportunity to go before the Lord and to go before what the book of Hebrews reminds us is a throne of grace. The general idea would be that the Jews, by virtue of the covenants and promises and the long-standing life as their identity as God's people were natural-born children, and the Gentiles were adopted, okay? Jews are the natural tree to use Paul's argument in Romans 11, Gentiles' branches that are grafted in. And what's being celebrated here is that the engrafting into the family is so real and so complete that there is no difference between how the two are treated. If the Jews of old could come, Before the Lord, so too can, as it were, the new kid uh, in the family. And so now verses 8 through 12 
of Ephesians 3. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. All right, so pop quiz here. You can answer this here. Of all of the graces of the Christian life, what do you say is perhaps the one you struggle with the most? Does anybody want to say the things that you say, these are the things that make up regular communion with God and fellowship with God. These are the things that Christians do. Prayer. All right, John's going to be bold to say prayer. How many agree with John that this is one of the things that you struggle with the most? Now, why do we struggle with it? Is it, do we struggle with it on God's side? You know, so we say in, in relationships, it's either you, me, or us, right? There's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with me, or there's something wrong in the complex of the us. Is it him? It, 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 is it us? Well, in a sense, is it me? And so what prevents us What prevents us from having, well, let me just ask, what prevents us? Could it be for some, is there ever a sense of shame? Is there ever a sense of unworthiness? Is there ever a sense that you you feel like you failed so much, you've sinned so much that you just, you kind of want to avoid them in in in, in some sense because it's just a, reminder of your failure and even when you try to pray you fail at that too you don't do a very good job your mind wanders you fall asleep or you lose your place or you know what, what, whatever it is and so sometimes what is intended to be the throne of grace becomes a seat of condemnation you ever experienced that and what this is telling us is <clears throat> we have no grounds for that You confess your sins with the confidence that your sins are, to, are, are forgiven and that they are covered and that you are cleansed from all unrighteousness. And you should come with the sense and the boldness and the confidence of having been invited, that you belong. Now again, sometimes we have you know, paranoia about certain things. You know, if, you're, if you have to get into some place important and you need a ticket maybe to get in and you feel for it however many times you put it in your pocket and you do this however many times as you're walking up to the place and then as you're, you're getting in because somebody's going to look at it and they're going to make sure that it's okay. You're gonna, if you're going to get on the plane or get into the, you know, whatever that building is and you need that in order to have access and you may be a little bit paranoid about it but then you come and as long as it, as long as it passes then you're able to go in. And... But there are others who may be able to go in, you know, with a sense that 
you know, either I own the place, or maybe there are people who literally own the place, and who are able to have a, a boldness of entrance and a confidence of entrance. And this is what the Lord is saying to us uh, as the people of God. Now, this is closely followed up by the term are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is a, a Hebraism, or, or maybe actually I'm saying Aramaic, uh, of, uh, but taken from uh, a word, Father. Uh, you, you'll, you'll see that Ab uh, in several uh, names in the Old Testament, uh, Abba. Uh, what, what is the idea of, of Abba? What's the... It's a, it's, it, is a, it is a familiar and a close intimacy. We are enabled, and, and note here the word cry. Not just to say, but it's a, it is a word that is fitting for a cry. A cry of help. A, a cry of necessity. Now, when we look at this in the language of the confession, are enabled to cry, it does beg the question, enabled by whom? Who enables us to cry this? What's that? Ruth? The Spirit of God, right? The Spirit of God enables us, emboldens us, allows us, gives to us this confidence that God gives not only the right and the privilege to address him in these terms, but again, he enables them. He helps them to do so. This is how I want you to talk to me. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to put even words in your mouth to help you. And even our Lord Jesus, and this is, I know it's not using the word Abba, but our Lord Jesus, in teaching his disciples to pray, begins with our Father. This is who you're praying to. It's not just my Father, our Father. And if you've ever been in, in, in homes that where there is an adoption that's taken place, and I don't know if I, any of you, any of you ad, ad, adopted? Anybody here? Other, obviously, other than by God. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, oh yeah, you you kind of, you were an adopted mom. Yeah, right, and they adopted you, you adopted them in in that sense, yeah. So, but when you're in that, and you you, you see a family, I I was mindful going back in my memory to uh, time I spent in Zambia with uh, James and Megan some years ago, and they'd adopted this little girl, Gracie, and Grace, um, so the Williamsons are, I don't think they would mind my saying this, particularly James is about as white a boy as you can, uh, you know, fair-haired, red-headed, you know, freckled and, and, and all of that from Mississippi. Uh, and, and they adopted this lovely little Zambian girl uh, into, the, into their family. And Grace had to be taught the, the feeling and the emotion, as it were, of family dynamics. And there was that reality when they first came in, what, what do I call you? 
What do I call you? And you call me daddy and you call her mommy and who are these children? This is your sister. This is your brother. And now again, that's information. That's what was the result of the adoption process. But what allowed her to be able then in the middle of the night to cry out, not white lady or white man or Mr. Williamson or Mrs. Williamson, but mom or dad. This is the dynamic, again, that it can't just be done on, in paperwork. It has to be introduced into the heart and into the life uh, of the family. And again, this is Romans 8, 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And this has to deal again with matters of assurance, but it also deals here again with the enjoyment of that and the prayer aspect and the fellowship aspect uh, of that relationship. Well, I want to keep on here. Uh, fifthly, they are pitied. What is that taken from? What, what text does that remind you of? Psalm, Psalm 103. As a father pities his children so the lord pities those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust now what do you think of when you think about pity that you pity somebody what's generally the condition of somebody that you pity are they down and out right and so you pity them uh, and so sometimes pity uh, is almost a feeling of, of, of just feeling sorry for somebody, right? But is that the, is that the meaning of the term here? Do, do you know? All right, he does something about it, but what's that? He loves us, right? That's the idea here, really. It's an affectionate term. It's, it's not just... The Lord walking past, you know, somebody walking past somebody on the street that's begging and doesn't have any food, doesn't have any money, maybe is is horribly disabled or disfigured in, in some way, and you walk by and you toss a little bit of money maybe, and because you feel, feel sorry for them. Well, God doesn't just feel sorry. Fathers don't just feel sorry for their children. They love them, and they love them in a special way in their weakness, uh, there is a special pity that, that, in this sense, that fathers and mothers bestow upon their children in their littleness. And I'm not to say they lose it as the kid gets older, but, but there does, there's a different dynamic uh, between brushing your little one's teeth and snapping every snap and buttoning every button and tying every shoe and, and all of the rest when they're small and when they're messy uh, that I'm going to go wash, I'm going to wash your face, I'm going to wash your hands, I'm going to look after you because you're not able to do it yourself. And part of the, what we need to remember in this is that the Lord knows our frame and he knows that we are but dust. And, and part of the reality of this is that God's response to your humanity and to your weakness, which is part of your humanity, is, is not disdain. God is not 
angry with you or bitter towards you because you're human, because you're tired, because you need to sleep, because you can't do all the things that you want to do. Now, you may be disappointed with yourself and somebody else might be disappointed that that you don't know everything, can't do everything, elicits in the Lord a love for you, a, a desire to come alongside and to help you. All right, sixthly, that they are protected. Proverbs 14, 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. So what comes to mind? Anything else that comes to mind in this in regard to as a child of God? And remember the Lord taught, and he wants us to know, that in, real, in regard to the analogy of fathers and their children, the love of God is not the lesser of the two. It's, if we being evil know how to give, give good gifts to our children, how much more our Father in heaven? And, and I don't think you have to be a dad to know this or a mom to know this, but I do believe that it helps us in our spiritual life it did certainly for me to have that first child that just uh, had her 32nd birthday a few weeks ago, uh, but to hold that little one and to have uh, all of the affection that comes with becoming a father and to know that this was a pale reflection of the love of the father for us. It's very liberating. And, and again, we can know this through other means, uh, but if you've ever loved and pitied a, a child or protected a child, and wanted to see a child make it and, and to do well and to shield them from harm, which is part of, part of what's in us, that's a reflection of the heart of God for us. God protects us. He protects our souls. Uh, there are a multitude of ways in which he protects our bodies, in which he, he keeps us in, in ways that I, I think that we... We really don't know, and maybe we don't even think about. There are times when I get back from you know, driving in certain places, and I marvel that there are not tens of thousands of wrecks uh, in our city every day. I mean, people driving these heavy machines at one another, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour sometimes, passing within inches of each other, swerving around each other. And as many times I've thought is, I thought, well, they're dead, you know, or that I'm expecting to come across a smoky, you know, wreck uh, up ahead. And, and very often, that, that, well, it almost never has happened. I don't know that I've ever actually seen it happen. But you think it's going to. And you think, well, who do you thank for that? When you get home uh, from another, you know, 2,000 miles of driving or 500 miles of driving that the Lord watched over you and kept you, but most of all spiritually through many dangers, toils, and snares. All right, now let's look at one that may not be uh, immediately that you think of as one of the great benefits of being God's child. That one of the great benefits of being God's child is that he chastens you. How many of you can say, uh, listen, okay, we're going to talk what you know theologically and then what you experience personally. How many of you know theologically that this is a great blessing and that it's a token of God's love for you? That if God chastens you, 
It's for your good. All right, what, what does chastening look like? And what does chastening feel like? How do we know it's chastening? Because <laughs> it doesn't feel good. Uh, <clears throat> well, there might be a lot of things that don't feel good. And not everything that we go through in life that's unpleasant is necessarily, in the sense that we're thinking of here, chastening. Now, we can argue that all that is hard and all that is difficult and all that is unpleasant is part of the Father's training. But there are times when events and circumstances are a divine response to arrest us in some pursuit of sin or to convict us of sin or to bring about some spiritual good in us. So this is hard for us sometimes, isn't it? Because we don't know. Oh, Jake, can I tell a story about you? All right. <clears throat> or maybe you want to tell it, Jake. So the, uh, uh, how long ago was it you had this incident with your pickup truck? Three weeks ago. All right, so work through what happened in the truck. So I'm getting ready to come here that evening, and I go and put my truck in uh, drive, and it's moving in reverse. And my shifter cable had snapped. And so I had to go and put it in emergency brake. Okay, well, I was thinking of another story, Jake. Oh. <laughs> Flat tire. You go to get it, you, you, somebody brings a little inflator, you inflate it, but they lock the door, and then your other door is locked, and your car is running, and it's how many degrees outside? All right, what had you done, Jake? What did you do to deserve it? That's what I'm getting at. You, but did you wonder that? Did you think to yourself, what did I do? All right, so how many of you can relate? So something like that. All right, is that just the inconvenience of being a human who is sometimes, pardon the expression, stupid? Because <laughs> that's what you said to yourself, right? You stupid idiot. What were you thinking? Why did you lock that door? You know, whatever it is that you go through. And you ask yourself, well, is that chastening? Is every flat tire chastening? Is every disappointment chastening? Is every financial mismanagement, you know, you, you blew it. Reminded today, I got caught in a scam one time. I beat myself up. Every single time I come across somebody, I was like, I, I fell for that. I hate it. I hate it. I, I learned, right. So sometimes chastening is, is learning. It's, it's God's fatherly way of instructing, at times confronting, at times hedging us up. At times putting obstacles in our way. And what's God's great ambition in all of this? To make us like Jesus, right? It's, it's a peaceable fruit of righteousness and, and holiness. Now, how does chastening feel? It's painful. But God is not sadistic or cruel. And some in this life, again, I know for, for some who suffer chronic issues, Chronic physical issues. At some point, you're going to ask the question, you know, why, why me? Why do I have to go through this when, when others don't? 
And the question, remember, that was asked in the gospel, did this man sin? Who sinned, this man or his parents? And what was the answer of our Lord in that? Neither one of them did. And what do you mean? It's not, it's not that none of them sinned. Of course they had sinned. But what he's saying is that not everything is a direct correlation, a tit for tat. And I think that what we need to, to recognize and realize is, as we go through this, when we feel this, if we're going through something and, 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 and what immediately comes to mind is, is our sin, then, then it may well be there that you know, God is very, quick, very quickly showing you, I'm displeased with what you're doing. And I'm, I am bringing some consequences. I mean, we don't always get it, but I'm going to bring some consequences right now to arrest you and to alarm you. Again, this is the language of Hebrews 12, uh, verse 7 and following. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness, etc. Verse 9, or verse 9, number 9, yet never cast off. And this is an important thing. When God, again, when God deals with you in chastening, which is painful and disappointing and disheartening, and the question that we may ask of God is a question sometimes children ask of their parents when they're being chastened or disciplined, you don't love me. And God is saying, of course I love you, and this is actually proof of it. And that when I block your way, it is for your holiness, and I am not casting you off. You're never cast off, and you can't be unadopted. God may chasten you, but he'll not cast you off. Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And then we read that they are sealed uh, for the day uh, of redemption. Uh, that's tenthly. That's taken from Ephesians chapter one. In whom you also trust, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Sealed, watched over, marked out. Again, that was the whole purpose of placing a, a particularly a royal seal uh, on something, is that it was protected and off limits and belonged to another. And then the final aspect is inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. And this is placed last. This is a large measure of what the doctrine of adoption teaches us. And this, and listen to how this is brought out. Romans chapter 8. Look some of this already. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And now the logic. And if children, then heirs. If children, then heirs. So when I die, I have, God willing, I 
have thought some, and more, Lord willing, God gives me life. I, I, I am laying up for my children. And I don't know that any are going to ask this. Hey, Dad's dead. What do we get? <laughs> but, but what they shouldn't ask is, are we getting anything? Well, are you my children? If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. And so here, Christian, child of the living God, brother or sister to Jesus. This is information. These are objective truths. Every one of these 11 statements rooted in a, one passage of scripture or another. They're set forth in God's word and they belong to you if you are justified. That is, if you have placed your hope and trust in Christ. But these are not just given for information. They're given for your joy and for your comfort. Given for the greatness of your assurance. Well, let's pray and let's ask God to bless these things to our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time to be together and to consider the truths of your word. We do pray, Heavenly Father, that you will magnify your work of grace evermore in our hearts. Thank you, Father, for the great blessings and privilege of having the Spirit of God put within us, the Spirit of adoption, by which we may cry out, Abba, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.